1: with Dr. Frank Turek. How good is the moral argument, ladies and gentlemen? The past two radio programs and podcasts, we've covered uh, a letter that a gentleman wrote me, a retired attorney, and uh, he disagreed with the moral argument, even though he claimed to be a Christian. And we've been going through uh, his letter and uh, responding to it point by point. And some of the questions we've dealt with is, does the moral argument depend on everyone agreeing on right and wrong? The answer is no. We've covered that in one of the previous two podcasts. Uh, If everybody was brainwashed to believe that murdering Jews was correct, that wouldn't make it correct. So you don't need everybody agreeing on everything in order to say that morality is objective. You just need a standard outside of humanity. And just one thing needs to be morally right Or morally wrong to say there's an objective standard. Uh, Another question, can human beings construct an objective moral standard independent of God? Couldn't majority vote do that? The answer is, well, you you could come up with a moral standard by majority vote that agrees with the objective standard known as God's nature. But that wouldn't make it objective itself. It would just mean that you agree with the objective standard. Just like when you agree that 2 plus 2 equals 4, you're not making 2 plus 2, two, plus two equals 4 objective. You're just agreeing with the standard that already exists. So human beings don't create objective standards. Human beings recognize objective standards. Are God's commands based on God's desires? We pointed out, no, they're based on God's goodness. God's not arbitrary. He doesn't just make things up. His standard or his nature is the standard. This is the the so-called euthyphro dilemma that you may have heard of before that people will say, well, does God do it because it's good or is it good because God does it? And that's supposed to be a dilemma. It's supposed to be, well, if it's good because God does it, then you don't need God for good. And if God does it before, if, if even I'm getting confused now, if, if it's good because God does it, in other words, God is just arbitrary. You don't need God for that either. And this is supposed to be a dilemma, but it's not a dilemma. Why? Because a dilemma is only two choices, either A or non-A. A. Uh, This is not A or non-A. This is A, B, maybe there's a third option, a C. And in this case, there is. There is a third option. God doesn't arbitrarily make things up. God doesn't look for a standard beyond him. The third option is God is the standard. The buck has to stop somewhere, and it stops with God's nature. So God's nature is the standard of morality. They're not based on God's authority or God's desires. They're based on the fact that God is the standard of goodness. His nature is good. Now, obviously God does have authority over his creation. And when he issues commands, we're obligated to obey them. But it's not just based on God's authority when he issues commands. It's based on God's goodness. Can evolution explain morality. We covered that, and we're going to cover it a little bit more today because it comes up again toward the end of this gentleman's letter. So The answer, of course, is no, evolution can't explain morality. Evolution can't even explain biology. How's it going to explain morality? Evolution is a biological process, and biological processes describe what happens. Biological processes do not prescribe what ought to happen. But we'll talk more about that here in a minute. And do changing views on morality mean there is no objective morality? That's what we're going to cover today. And what about moral dilemmas? Do they show morality is relative? You know, if you have five people on a life raft and it can only fit four, if you don't throw somebody off, everyone's going to die. What do you do? These are, these are moral dilemmas. Do they disprove objective morality? Do they show morality is relative? And so if you haven't listened to the last two podcasts, you need to go to the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast or go to our app, two words in the app store, cross-examined, two words in the app store. Over 200,000 people have downloaded the app. So download the app, and you can listen to those two before you listen to this one. Now, if you haven't listened to those two, you're not going to be lost here because I'm just going to summarize what's been said like I already have. But Go back and listen to those two if you want the more detailed answer to uh, some of those objections that we just mentioned. Uh, All right, let me let me go to uh, this gentleman's letter again. And... uh we picked it up or we ended on this paragraph. The par- It's like a five-paragraph letter. I think we've gotten through about three paragraphs because uh, he's brought up a lot of issues in this letter. And it, it's not important for me to give you the man's name. I disagree with almost everything he says. So I, don't, I don't. He's not here to defend himself. I'm, I'm just pointing out that I'm responding to the letter or the email, I should say. And by the way, if you want to email me and, and maybe toward the end of this program, we'll get to some other questions that you've emailed me. I, I try and get to as many as I can. I'm sorry I can't cover them all. But email me at hello at crossexamined.org. Hello at crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. Okay, this gentleman's letter, we'll pick it up at uh, a paragraph here where he says, believers who assert that homosexuality is still immoral because of their God, because because their God condemns it. All right, let me stop right here. Um, it's not just God condemns it, <laughs> it's based on God being the standard of goodness. And it's based on the natural design of the human body and the purpose of life. You can't have morality without purpose. If there's no purpose to life, there's no good or bad um, behaviors. If there's no, Just like if there's no purpose to a football game, you can't say that a, a touchdown for your team is better than an interception. Than your quarterback throwing an interception because there's no purpose to the game. Only if you know what the purpose of the game is can you say, hey, your guy throwing a touchdown is better than your guy throwing an interception. You gotta have purpose, okay? And if there's no God, there's no purpose to anything. We just all die and it's over and there's no ultimate meaning, okay? So it's not just because God condemns it. Uh, God may condemn a particular behavior because it goes against his purpose, the purpose of life and the natural design of the human body. We're not flourishing when we engage in behaviors that don't allow us to flourish and may actually cause us to not flourish. In any event. I'll continue with what he said. Believers who assert that homosexuality is still immoral because their God condemns it will be met with the response. We do not believe your God is real or that your opinion as to his decrees constitutes an objective standard. Okay, fine. You don't have to agree with it. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I mean, if I don't agree that Mars is up there, that doesn't mean Mars isn't up there. Or if I don't, if, if it, if, if I don't think that Jupiter exists, that doesn't mean Jupiter has popped out of existence. Just because I have a false belief in my mind doesn't mean that the thing I have a false belief about isn't really doesn't really exist. So, yeah, they may say, an unbeliever may say we don't believe your God is real or that your opinion as to his degrees constitutes an objective standard, but you're just mistaken if you don't believe that. And he goes on to say, you are no different from a criminal defendant who argues he doesn't share the opinion of those who enacted the law he is charged with violating. Okay, If God is not real, then there is no objective standard. Everything's a matter of opinion. There is nothing right or wrong about promoting or prohibiting homosexual behavior. In fact, there is no right of any kind about anything. There's no right to say. Heterosexual behavior or homosexual behavior, if there is no God. There is no right to natural marriage or same sex marriage or anything else without God. This is why I say in the book, Stealing from God, that if you're going to claim that same sex marriage is a right, you've got to somehow ground that in God's nature. And that's impossible to do because it isn't grounded in God's nature. It would go against God's nature. God created human beings to procreate. And that doesn't happen in homosexual relationships. Now, if you don't like that, I'm sorry. I didn't set up the universe, okay? My nature isn't the standard of goodness. I'm not the moral arbiter of the universe. I'm just pointing out what is objectively true. Now, you might disagree with it. Give me some arguments as to why you disagree with it. But you've got to have a standard in order to say that... that My interpretation is wrong. What is the right standard if you're going to say my interpretation is wrong? If there is no God, you don't have a standard. You're just making stuff up. All right, we're going to come back after this. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in just two minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, can you help me with something? Can you help me get this podcast before more people not only tell your friends about it, but go up to iTunes and put a five-star review on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast. If you do that, it will help us move the podcast up the charts so more people will hear it. Thank you so much for partnering with me on this. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. By the way, if you're still listening to this on the cross-examined podcast feed. That's going to be taken down shortly. You've got to move over to the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast feed or just get our app, the cross-examined app. You'll always have the podcast then. And thank you for putting positive reviews up there on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, because that helps move this up the charts, which means more people will see it. All right. We're talking about objective morality again, the moral argument and uh We've spent a couple of shows on it already. We're just finishing up here today, and then hopefully I'll get to some of your other questions. And uh, we were talking about just before the break uh, how the fact that human beings don't create objective moral standards. Human beings may recognize objective moral standards, just like human beings don't create the fact that 2 plus 2 equals 4. We just recognize that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Human beings don't create the laws of logic either. We just recognize the laws of logic. We, we discover them. We don't determine them. Same thing is true with objective moral laws. Now, sure, people and governments can enact immoral laws and force people to comply, but that doesn't mean they are objectively good laws. Now, sometimes they are objectively good laws. Sometimes, you know, if we put in a law which says don't murder, okay, that's a good law, and it maps over the objective standard that is based on God's nature already. That's True. And sometimes human beings get it right. Look, there's divine law, which comes from God. Then there's what we what we call positive law, which comes from human beings. Now, sometimes the positive law maps over the divine law. Sometimes we're correct about what we vote on. And sometimes we're incorrect. And we need to co- consistently, if we're going to be a good society based on objective right and wrong, we have to continually... Check ourselves to make sure that we're enacting laws in accord with God's nature, not against it. Okay, the gentleman who has written me, again, the retired attorney, goes on in a paragraph to say this, does this mean morality is flexible? Now, what what does he mean by does this mean? Because he just talked about how homosexuality is now more accepted in our society, so he says, than it was, say, in the past. Does this mean morality is flexible? And he goes, to a degree, sure. History demonstrates it is. When opinion is almost evenly divided, as it now may be with abortion and homosexuality, the debate will rage. Okay, let me stop right here. What people think and do may change, but morality doesn't change. What this gentleman is confusing is sociology and morality. He's confusing these two. Sociology is what people do. Morality is what they ought to do. Yes, what people believe about right and wrong may change and there may be a number of reasons for that but that doesn't mean morality itself has changed uh, just like if the nazis believed murdering the jews was now suddenly right that wouldn't make murdering the jews suddenly right so he's confusing what people do with what they ought to do all right let me go back to his his words now he says it may seem unthinkable that there could ever be flexibility in regard to child molestation, rape, murder, or genocide. Good, he writes. Well, great. I agree with you. There's not going to be flexibility there. <laughs> uh, there's. Hopefully, people are always going to say these things are wrong. Now, of course, when they don't say they're wrong, what they do is they try and dress up their negative or immoral behavior in positive sounding tones. As Paul says, Satan comes as an angel of light. Immorality will be sold as good. This is what the Nazis did. First of all, they dehumanized the Jews. They said they weren't human beings. And they said, this is all for a good thing. We need to get these these non-humans out of the way so we can create the super race. You see, they're taking resources from from the super race, from, from the good people. And so we need to get Get rid of these people, the Nazis said, in order to build this good society. You see, evil is always sold as good. It's never sold as evil. And that's why we have to be continually aware that this is done because Satan comes as an angel of light. But this gentleman is agreeing. There are some things that are so obviously wrong that we're never hopefully going to say they are good. But, you know, genocide has been sold as good, too. In fact, uh, Clay Jones, Clay Jones uh, wrote a book called um, Uh, Why Does God Allow Evil? And uh, he's he made the point in his study of genocide throughout history that the people who committed genocide were just everyday people. And here's a little thought experiment for you, ladies and gentlemen, if you had lived in Nazi Germany. And you had heard propaganda and you had heard people saying that the Jews were not humans and they needed to get out of the way. And you were drafted into the German army and you were assigned to Auschwitz. What would you do? I submit to you, I don't know what I would do. I might be one of those guards shooing people into the gas chambers. And probably you would have been too. Oh, no, I never would have done that. Well, history shows... Research shows that the people who committed some of the worst crimes in history were just everyday people. When Eichmann, one of the Nazi criminals, was put on trial, his accusers expected a monster to be on the stand. Someone who was subhuman, ironically. And yet he seemed to be just like everybody else. It's a universal problem, this sin thing, isn't it? Anyway, he goes on to say, this gentleman goes on to say, it may seem unthinkable there could ever be flexibility in regard to molestation, child abuse, rape, murder, genocide, good. He said, but I think a non-believer would respond that, quote, conduct such as this is so contrary to the survival of the species and the ability of humans to live in harmony That it is evolutionarily hardwired into us to such a degree that a majority opinion to the contrary is simply unthinkable. This is why believers think this morality has been placed on our hearts by their imaginary God. We think it's been hardwired by evolution and experience, unquote. So he's, he's basically giving an argument that an atheist would give. All right. Well, there's so much wrong with this. It's going to take a little while to unpack Okay, the first point in this sentence is where he says a non-believer would respond that conduct such as this is so contrary to the survival of the species. Okay, let's stop right there. We What's being smuggled in is a moral law right here. Why is survival of the species a good thing, and the ability of humans to live in harmony? Why is harmony good? What if Stalin makes his life better and more harmonious if he kills you and takes all your stuff? Why is that wrong? Why is cooperation a good thing that we have to cooperate to get along? And why is getting along a good thing? Why is survival a good thing? All this presupposes a moral standard that atheism itself doesn't have. You're smuggling a moral law into the system in order to make the system which is devoid of a moral law work. So you always, whenever you, hear, sent, you ever hear words like survival or benefit or cooperation or empathy or good. These are all words that are morally loaded words. Why are they good? Why are they right? Why are they moral? If we just dance to our DNA. And that's all evolution is, according to Richard Dawkins. There's no right. There's no wrong. There's no evil. There's no good. Some people are going to get lucky and other people are going to get hurt and there's no rhyme or reason to it. There is no justice. There is no good. There is no evil. We just dance to our DNA. DNA just is. We dance to its music, Dawkins says, the famous evolutionary atheist. Well, look, if if we just are and there's We're just a bunch of materials. We're just a bunch of chemicals. You can't say any of this is bad or good or right or wrong. It's all a matter of opinion. Now, next week, if uh, the schedule works out, we're going to have Dr. David Berlinski on this podcast. He is a secular Jewish man, self-described secular Jewish man, but he's a brilliant writer and thinker, and he has come out in many cases against Darwinian evolution for a number of reasons. And uh, I saw a video of him yesterday. I was watching an interview with him and uh, he said uh, cooperating. He said the Nazis were great at cooperating with one another to achieve their evil ends. Why should they cooperate with anybody else? Why not just cooperate with their group and wipe everybody else out? Who's to say that's wrong? You only have to cooperate with people that can protect you. You don't have to cooperate with people that have no power over you. And if it is survival of the fittest, then why not kill everybody who gets in your way? If you're the fittest, Hitler wrote in Mein Kampf, this kind of thing. He said, if the weaker races, Mein Kampf, his book, My Struggle, written in 1922, says if the weaker racers do not want to fight, they have no right to survive. And he used evolution survival of the fittest as intellectual and moral justification for wiping out the jews now technically there is no morality that you drive from you derive from evolution but that's what hitler did i mean evolution just is a description of what happens if it is indeed true it's not a prescription but hitler took it to the next step and said well i'm going to i'm going to use it as a prescription I'm going to say if it's survival of the fittest, then so be it. If that's what life is and I'm the fittest, I'm going to wipe everybody out that gets in my way. How can you say he's wrong if there's no standard beyond him? You can't. I mean, you can say it. You just can't justify it. And this whole idea about being evolutionarily hardwired to cause us to believe such a thing, that's what this gentleman, this retired attorney is saying He's saying the atheist will say that these moral commands or these this moral intuition we have is evolutionarily hardwired into us to such a degree that a majority opinion to the contrary is simply unthinkable. Well, actually, there was at least a plurality of people in Nazi Germany that put the Nazis in power. So I'm not so sure that a majority opinion is unthinkable that would agree with genocide or that would agree with murder. But we'll leave that aside. The point here is, is that if you're going to say that this thought is evolutionarily hardwired into us that say it's wrong to torture babies for fun, or it's wrong to murder innocent people. If that's just a thought given to us by evolution, then it's not really objectively wrong. It's just a thought Right after the break, we're going to see that this is actually a self-defeating position. And it's impossible to know if it's true. We'll unpack that when we come back. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Next week, I'm going to be next Saturday, Friday and Saturday, I'm going to be up in Eden Prairie at the Rethink Apologetics Conference put on our put on by our friend at Stand to Reason. Go to our website, crossexamine.org. You'll see it there. It's up near Minneapolis. I hope to see you guys there next week. I'm back in two minutes. Don't go away.
0: If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join our online community to have great conversations, grow in your knowledge of God, and become a better defender of the Christian faith. Also... Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos and over 100,000 subscribers that are part of our online family. Find us by searching for Frank Turek or Cross-Examined in the search bar. You can find many more resources like articles, online courses, free downloadable materials, event calendars, and more at CrossExamined.org.
1: A lot to cover here, ladies and gentlemen. Let me get right back into it. We were talking just before the break, and you're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We were talking about just before the break this idea that our moral thoughts, our moral um, intuitions are pre-wired into us or hardwired into us by evolution. Now, first of all, this is impossible to know, and it is also self-defeating. Now, why? Because if evolution has hardwired your morality into you, it has also hardwired your thoughts into you, including the thought that evolution has hardwired your moral thoughts. Do you see the vicious, self referential, self defeating circle that you have here? Because if you're going to say that your moral thoughts are given to you by evolution, then you have to say that all of your thoughts are given to you by evolution. And if they've just been given to you by a blind, mindless process, you have no reason for believing they are true. And so why believe any of it? You've made reason impossible by believing that evolution is given to you all your thoughts. And this is in logic, by the way, called the nothing but fallacy. What's the nothing but fallacy? When you say something is nothing but this, you're assuming more than knowledge. Nothing but statements assume more than knowledge. So if I say I am nothing but molecules in motion, in order for me to say that and have evidence for that, I'd have to be more than molecules in motion. Because if I'm nothing but molecules in motion... I wouldn't even know I was nothing but molecules in motion. I would have to be outside of molecules in motion. I'd have to be somebody who could follow the evidence where it leads in order to know that I was nothing but molecules in motion. It's sort of like saying, um, I know I'm in a dream. How do you know you're in a dream? The only way you can know you're in a dream is to get outside the dream. In order to know that you're having nothing but a dream, in other words – You'd have to have the more than knowledge of waking up to say that was nothing but a dream. In other words, you'd have to get outside of the dream to know that was just a dream. This is why when people like Daniel Dennett say, he's an atheist, my consciousness is nothing but an illusion. In order to know his consciousness was nothing but an illusion or a dream, he'd have to get outside of his consciousness to to know that was nothing but an illusion or a dream. In other words, he'd have to have some sort of super consciousness. He'd have to be somebody like God to know that his consciousness is nothing but an illusion, nothing but a dream. He'd have to get outside of it. In order to know you're in the matrix, you'd have to get outside the matrix to say, oh, just just a minute ago I was inside the matrix. Now I'm outside the matrix. Similarly, to say that my moral intuitions are nothing but evolutionary hardwiring— You'd have to have moral intuitions, or at least thoughts, that are outside of evolutionary hardwiring to say that your moral thoughts are nothing but evolutionary hardwiring. It's impossible to know, and it's self-defeating. So to have more than knowledge requires you, or I should say... You have to have more than knowledge in order to make nothing but statements, in order to justify nothing but statements. You'd have to get outside of what you're talking about to say that's nothing but a dream. That's nothing but evolutionary hardwiring. That's nothing but an illusion of consciousness. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, philosophy is so important to these issues. This is why you have to be able to recognize self-defeating statements and logical fallacies Because if you don't, you can be sucked in to these false philosophies. I'm nothing but a moist robot. Well, how do you know you're nothing but a moist robot? You'd have to be outside the robot in order to know you're nothing but a robot. And you wouldn't be able to... You wouldn't be able to know anything if you're just a robot. Notice also, by the way, this this wording, hardwiring hardwiring is an engineering term that requires design and intelligent intelligence, which is the opposite of an undesigned, mindless evolutionary process. I mean, in order to describe evolution, you've got these evolutionists using engineering design kind of language in order to describe it. When they're trying to say this has nothing to do with engineering or hardwiring, this is just mindless, undesigned. I love what 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 um, John Lennox says about this. I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, the last broadcast where he asks his materialist colleagues, how do you do science? And they start talking about their their apparatus in their laboratory. And he goes, no, 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 I don't mean that. I mean, how do you do science up here? Pointing to his head. And they go, oh, you mean with my mind? And they stop themselves because they don't really believe in a mind. They just believe in a brain. You mean with my brain? And Lennox says, yeah, describe to me the origin of your brain. And the materialist will say, well, my brain is the result of a mindless, unguided process that didn't have its end in mind. And Lennox stops and says, and you trust it? Yeah, why would you trust something that wasn't designed to give you reliable information? I mean, if a computer could be designed without intelligence, would you would you trust anything it told you? No, garbage in equals garbage out. So this whole idea of evolutionary hardwiring belies the whole worldview that gives us this nonsensical claim that everything is just evolutionary hardwired. Because hardwiring requires intelligence and evolution has no intelligence. The gentleman goes on to say, I'm back to the retired attorney now writing to me about this, his claims against the moral argument. He says, in short, the objection that nonbelievers have no objective basis for their morality claims seems to me to be fundamentally flawed And to really go nowhere. Well, it depends on what you mean by objective. This is me talking now. Again, if it's just human opinion, yeah, it's not objective. But if there's a standard beyond human opinion in the object known as God's nature, then it would be objective. And if our... Moral laws that we create here through our governments, if they agree with God's nature, okay, then they're good laws. They agree with the objective nature of God. If they disagree, then they're bad laws. He goes on to say, it may appeal to a believer for obvious reasons, but the believer's God and his decree simply carry no weight with a non-believer. Oh, they may carry no weight, but that doesn't mean they're not true. If somebody doesn't believe two plus two equals four, he's wrong, Okay, yeah, he doesn't believe it, but he's still wrong. Truth doesn't cease being truth simply because someone either thinks poorly and doesn't know the truth or simply rejects the truth. Murder is still wrong, even if a murderer denies it. In fact, you know right from wrong best by your reactions rather than your actions. Look, if I steal from you, I may, I may not think murderers or, or stealing is wrong, I should say. If I steal from you, you know, I can, I can, I can justify stealing from you. I may say, ah, look, he's got a lot more than me and it's OK. And, you know, and he, he wronged me before, so he owes me this. You know, I'm coming up with all these moral justifications in my mind for doing something immoral. We all do that, don't we? Look, I may, th- I may not think stealing's wrong or I can at least justify it when I steal from you. But what do I say the second you steal from me? Hey wait a minute, that's wrong. In other words, your reactions are better indicators of true, right, and wrong than your actions are. Years ago, there was a uh, professor at Indiana University, and he uh, was teaching a course in ethics, and he told his um, his students he said, "You can write a paper." On anything you want, as long as it has something to do with ethics. And he had this atheist in his class who said, who wrote this paper about morality being relative. He said, all, all morality is relative. You like chocolate, I like vanilla. There is no truth, there is no justice. It's all a matter of opinion. You like chocolate, I like DNA. We just danced to our DNA, all that kind of stuff, right? You like chocolate, I like vanilla. <laughs> you know, we just danced to our DNA, whatever I just said. Anyway, the professor got this uh, paper, and he read the whole thing. There is no right and wrong. It's all a matter of opinion. There is no justice. There is no good. There is no evil. Um, You like chocolate. I like vanilla. And he had handed it in on time. It was the right length. It was properly written, properly footnoted. It was in a handsome blue folder. And the professor closed the folder up, and he said, F, I don't like blue folders. Handed it back to the student, the next class. At the end of the class, the student stormed up to the professor and said, F, I don't like blue folders. That's not fair. That's not right. That's not just. And the, stu- and the professor said, hold on, hold on, wait a minute. I read a lot of papers. You, you know, I wasn't yours the paper that says there is no such thing as fairness. There is no such thing as justice. There is no, thing, no such thing as objective right and wrong. It's all a matter of opinion. You like chocolate. I like vanilla. And the student said, yeah, that's my view. And he said, I don't like blue. You get an F. Suddenly the light bulb went off in the student's head. He realized that it was objectively morally wrong to grade the paper based on the color of the folder. And he realized (laughs) that his entire thesis was wrong because he reacted to being treated unfairly, even though his paper said there is no such thing as fairness, rightness or justice. I mean, this is like socialism when you think about it. Socialists want to take from the achievers and give to the underachievers. And there's many young people, apparently 70 percent now of young people think they might vote for a socialist, despite all the evidence to the contrary, that socialism doesn't work because it's a violation of human nature or a misunderstanding of human nature, I should say. I don't have time to get into that right now, but I want to point this out. The the same students that think that in a socialistic way, we ought to take take from the achievers and give to the underachievers – would be the first students that would protest if the professor said, "I'm going to take from the achievers in this class and give to the underachiever, underachievers." I'm going to average grades. In other words, oh, you, you're a socialist. You want, you want socialism, but you got an A in the class so far. Guess what? I'm going to take you down to a C and give the guy who has an F a C. I'm just going to average the grades. What do you think? The, what do you think the socialist student would say? Wait a minute, that's not fair. That's not right. That's not just. Well, that's what you want socialism to be. You want to equalize things that aren't equal. The All right, let me go back to the uh letter that the gentleman writes. He says, "Even among believers morality may vary widely." To take a silly example, an ancient Aztec would have a much different view of morality than would a modern evangelical Christian. What could be said to the Aztec except, quote, we don't believe your gods exist, and thus we reject your imaginary decrees as to providing an objective basis for morality, unquote. Exactly what a non-believer would say to a Christian. Yeah, what about that? Do the Aztecs have a, have a different view of morality than we do today? And what would we say to an Aztec today? Well, we're going to cover that right after the break and talk quickly about the six different mistakes we make when we confuse the moral argument or misunderstand the moral argument. I'm Frank Turk. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist on the American Family Radio Network, our website, crossexamined.org, crossexamined with a D on the end of it. We're back in two. Ladies and gentlemen... I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. If you like what we do, would you please consider going to crossexamined.org and giving us a tax-deductible donation? 100% of your donations will go to ministry, 0% to buildings. Thanks so much. Much of what I've been saying in this program and the previous two... You can find in two books, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist and Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case, and my friend and colleague, the guy who really runs crossexamine.org is the great Jorge Gill, and he's going to be actually teaching stealing from God, why atheists need God to, create or to make their case in Espanol, in Spanish. So if you know anyone who speaks Espanol, the class starts next week if you go to crossexamine.org and click on online courses. It'll take you over to online Christian courses and you can see that course and enroll in it. And uh, you'll see all the videos that I do, subtitled in Spanish, but Jorge will be your moderator if you sign up for the premium version of the class and he does a great job and so we'll cover all this in more detail than we can do on these podcasts and many other issues related to stealing from God and uh, you can, as I say, sign up Sign up soon, because, again, the class, I think, begins next week. I think it begins on the 11th, actually, November 11th, Veterans Day, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, go to uh, the website, crossexamine.org, click on online courses, and you'll see uh, coming up in the spring, Dan Wallace is uh, going to teach uh, textual criticism. He's like one of the best in the world on that. Uh, we're going to have a course... Uh, by Sean McDowell called Homosexuality in the Bible as well. You don't want to miss that one. And this is going to all be posted here in the next couple of weeks. So you'll be able to sign up for them. And then I'm going to teach stealing from God, why atheists need God to make their case in English. So... uh Check all that out on our website, crossexamine.org. Click on online courses. Also want to mention, on the 13th of November, I'm going to be at the University of Maine in Orono, right near Bangor, Maine. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Wednesday night, November 13th, everybody's invited. Anyone can come. We'll have Q&A as well. It's I don't have enough faith to be an atheist right there. And again, uh, just before that, I'm going to be, as I say, in... um, In uh, Eden Prairie, Minnesota, with my friends from Stand to Reason, Greg Kokel, Tim Barnett. uh, They're all going to be there. Alan Schliemann, other speakers as well for Rethink. Great conference, youth conference. going to be in Eden Prairie next week. That's uh, November, I want to say, 8 and 9. And uh, also, the following week, I'm going to be in Oklahoma for a conference there on Sunday and Sunday night. And hang on a second. Let me give you the exact uh, church where that's going to be. That's going to be McClester. It's going to be a First Baptist Church, McClester, Oklahoma. Or, sorry, not McClester. McAllister. McAllister, November 17th. And uh, that's Sunday, November 17th in the morning and then uh, an evening. Um, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist event as well. So looking forward to all that. Hope to see you out there. Let's get back to our topic here. What are the six things that people make or mistakes they make when they're talking about morality? And uh, this gentleman talking about the Aztecs is making a mistake. The first mistake is confusing a difference in facts with a difference in objective morality. And C.S. Lewis made this point. Uh, he said um, that in the late 1700s, witches were sentenced as murderers, but now they're not. Now, a relativist might argue, see, our moral values have changed because we no longer kill witches. Morality is relative to time and culture. But the relativist claim is is not correct. Why? Because what has changed is not the moral principle that murders wrong, but the perception or the perception or factual understanding of whether m- witches can really murder people by their curses. People no longer believe they can, therefore, people no longer consider witches murderers. In other words, the perception of a moral situation is relative, whether witches are really murderers, but the moral values involved in this situation are not relative. Murder has always been and always will be wrong. So, people are just confusing the fact of the situation with the moral The moral. Uh, Precept, moral precept hasn't changed. It's always wrong to murder people. What's changed is whether people think witches are really murderers. Now, I imagine that the Aztecs thought it was a fact that their gods wanted human sacrifice. If they really thought that, then the Aztecs were actually agreeing with the moral principle that our top obligation is to the creator who owns all life. They were not disagreeing with the objective moral principle, but agreeing with it. And Christians believe the same. Abraham knew that God had the right to all right, to all life, including his son Isaac. And he also knew that God could resurrect Isaac from the dead. In fact, if you look at the account in Genesis 22, uh, Abraham says to his helpers, look, the boy and I are going to go up there and then we're going to come back. So he knew that God was not going to kill Isaac. And if he did, he could resurrect him. So this is not a disagreement, but an agreement, actually. In fact, and I say in fact a lot, do you know that? In fact, I do. Anyway, in fact, the whole scenario with Abraham and Isaac is a foreshadowing of the scenario with God and Jesus. Abraham took his son Isaac up on Mount Moriah to sacrifice him. 2,000 years later, God took his own son, Jesus, to that same Mount Moriah, but he didn't stop the execution from taking place because that execution, that sacrifice, is what saves us. God remains perfectly just because he punishes Jesus in our place. And we can then have our sins forgiven because of what Jesus has done. So the first mistake is, conf- is confusing the factual situation with the object of moral principle. The second mistake is confusing what people ought to do with how they behave. And I already mentioned that this gentleman is confusing morality with sociology. Objective morality is unchanging and prescriptive, but human behavior is changing and descriptive. That's sociology. So, yeah, all you say oh, our, our moral values have changed with regard to abortion, homosexuality or premarital sex. Well, what we do might have changed, but that doesn't mean that those things are now morally right because we, we, we do them and more people think they're right. They can still be wrong even if people think they're right. Mistake number three is thinking that hard problems in morality show all morality is relative. And this is what's called the life raft dilemma. You know, you put four people on a life raft that can only take three. If you don't kick one of them off, everybody's going to die. And professors give this scenario to their students and break up into groups and talk about it. And they go talk about it and they come back with all different answers. And the professor goes, see, morality is relative. No, it actually shows morality is objective. Why? Why? Because the very reason you're struggling to try and figure out what to do is because you know how valuable life is. The only reason it's a dilemma is because you know life is valuable and you want to save everybody. If life wasn't valuable, you'd say, who cares? Throw everybody off the raft. It doesn't matter at all. So this doesn't prove that morality is relative. It actually shows morality is objective. Just because there are hard problems in morality doesn't mean there aren't easy problems in morality. While people may get morality wrong in complicated situations, they don't get it wrong on the basics. For example, everyone knows murder is wrong. Hitler knew it. That's why he had to dehumanize the Jews in order to rationalize killing them. Even cannibals appear to know that it's wrong to kill innocent human beings. It may be cannibals don't think that the people in the other tribes are human, but chances are they do. In fact, Jay Budziszewski wrote the book, the great book, "Why, why What You Can't Not Know, says that why do cannibals perform elaborate expiatory rituals before they take the lives of other people. They wouldn't perform those rituals unless they thought there was something wrong with what they were about to do. So the basics are clear, even if some difficult problems are not clear. So the fact that there are difficult problems in morality doesn't disprove the existence of objective moral laws any more than difficult problems in science disprove the existence of objective natural laws. Scientists don't deny that an objective world exists when they encounter a difficult problem in the natural world. In other words, when they, when they have trouble knowing the answer or figuring out what the answer is. And we shouldn't deny that morality exists just because we have trouble knowing the answer in a difficult situation. Just because you don't know what to do in the life raft situation doesn't mean you don't know what to do in simpler situations. And the very fact that you are that you are um, experiencing angst when you're trying to figure out the life raft dilemma is because you know that human beings are objectively morally valuable and you have an obligation to protect human life. So look, we live in a fallen world. There are going to be instances where absolutes conflict. There's going to be instances. What do you do? Sometimes you know the answer, sometimes you don't. What happens if you're hiding if you're in Nazi Germany and you're hiding Jews from the Nazis and you get a knock on your door? Schnell! 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 You come to the door. Nazi soldiers say, "Has to Juden here?" What do you say? Well, you're not supposed to lie, right? You're supposed to say, "Yeah, they're up in the attic. Go get them." There's there's four of them in there. You might only see three, but there are four. No, what do you say in that situation? It's a bit of a dilemma, but you say, "Look, I have more. I have a higher moral duty to protect innocent life than I do to tell the truth to a guilty murderer." So you lie to save the lives of the save the life of the Nazis. This is save the life of the Nazis, save the life of the Jews. This is called graded absolutism in morality. In fact, my my mentor, Dr. Norman Geiser, wrote it in his book, Christian Ethics, that you have a higher duty to protect innocent life than you do to tell a guilty murderer, the truth. You're exempted from telling the guilty murderer the truth in order to protect innocent life. That's a bit of a dilemma, but I think that's an easy one. The life raft one is harder, but still it wouldn't be a dilemma unless human beings were supremely valuable and you have an obligation to protect human beings. Now, I've only gotten through three of these mistakes, so this is going to be a fourth session next week. Well, we'll get to it another time. We're going to have David Belinsky on next week. You're not going to want to miss that. But we'll we'll cover the other four or the other three. You can see them in the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, the mistakes people make when they're discussing morality and the moral argument. I'm Frank Turek. Great being with you. Don't forget, coming up, going to be in Minnesota going to be at university of maine and also in oklahoma check our website crossexamine.org for more i'll see you out there god bless see you next week
0: if you benefit from this podcast help others find it just go to itunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the i don't have enough faith to be an atheist podcast with dr frank turek it will take you less than five seconds you can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.